You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network. That's full of a whole list of other Bat-related shows uh, that also like to dive into other nerdy subjects that all of us, um, led by the great Peter Arvera, love to frolic about in our free time. He's a frolicker. Don't let them tell you any different. Batman Book Club is also on Patreon. If you like what's going on with the show and you want to help support the show and join the others who have graciously joined Patreon um, and supported the show, go to patreon.com slash the Batman BC. Now, thank you for listening to episode 187, year two. Joining me on this adventure, uh, he, I mean, I don't want to say it's been a while. He was on last year. Been a while. I mean... Um, but he's a familiar voice on this, these here parts. Uh, he has many words written on Batman on film. It's my pal Javi. Trudio. So many words. Javi, welcome <laughs> back to the Batman Book Club. Thank you, man. I think this is number six. I was trying number to six. Count, well, you know, count up. Six is good. Six is good. Yeah. Ask Knox. Um, excellent. I meant to count that up and see how many times. I think last year when you were on, we talked the chalice, correct? Yeah, I think that, that was, was the last, last one you were on. Okay, uh, yeah, and then here we are now, uh, episode one eighty seven, talking about a book from nineteen eighty seven. Um, I'm nice. I'm down for this. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm, I came in ready to talk this story because I'm actually pretty excited about talking about this one. So, are you ready to talk about this one? Let's skip, let's skip the appetizers. Let's go to the main dish. You ready? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Let's. Dive I was in gonna. It. I was mm-hmm. going to regale you that, you know, oh. after the morning I had, I had uh, a meeting with good old Chip, me and my buddy, my friend Chip. We mm-hmm. had some cinnamon rolls for breakfast. God damn it. Talking, damn talking you, future Bobby. Batman plans. Damn <laughs> so... you. Damn you. Yeah. All right. And well, not I'm only did go... we have like cinnamon rolls for breakfast, yeah. we had a chaser of Skittles. No, I don't know. care so much about the Skittles. We had some Skittles in honor of, but we only had the yellow and the purple and the red ones in honor of Peter Vera's favorite iteration of Batman. My buddies are. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to hit the uh, transition music by the great Christopher Drake. And I'm going to go to the cinema. Yes. And then when it ends, I'll be back and we can talk Batman. So this story was written in 1987. Uh, four issues originally appeared in Detective Comics number 575 through 578 with Mike W. Barr as the writer, Alan Davis, and Todd McFarlane as the Who's that? artist. Who's that guy? 
Yeah, as the he artist did anything film. after this, did he? Like he never um, went on to do anything. I don't think. No, not not many. Uh, there's a whole list of colorists included to this, in which um, I'll get. Let's see, we got. I had it. I had it down. I'm very professional today. Um, Steve Olaf with Gloria Vasquez um, and Todd McFarlane did some of his own colors as well. And we have another name. Nope, it's still still old Stevie boy. Um, I want to give like I want to give credit to. Okay, there we go. We got them all. Steve Olaf with Gloria Vasquez and uh, Todd did some of his own as well. Uh, let's see this book. These issues originally, like I said, released in 1987. Um, you could buy them physically. The they are available singly on DC Universe Infinite. The there have been multiple releases, collected editions. It was released. What I saw in a trade paperback in 1990. There's also a trade paperback released in 2002 that included the follow-up to Year Two with uh, Full Circle, and then there was a deluxe edition hardcover released in 2017. The hardcover hardcover. Uh, collection the deluxe edition is available on dc universe infinite ultra um all this stuff's available digitally and then of course the deluxe edition is available on my favorite app of all time hoopla Whew. so did they did they do a facsimile version of one of the issues recently or am i just making that up uh i would not say you're making it up i do not remember coming across one um so may, maybe i should also mention the first issue, so Detective Comics number 575 and the first chapter of year two was collected in the Legends of the Dark Knight, Alan Davis. And I'm going to talk yes. about that also and bring that up um, when we dive into this discussion. So, Mr. Uh, Trujillo, which version of year two did you read for this episode? All of them? No, oh, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> um I was traveling when the bat signal went up mm -hmm. that the time was nigh. So mm -hmm. I had to go to DC universe infinite and uh, started off that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think I read like the first two or th three issues that way. Mm -hmm. um, then I went to my deluxe edition to finish it off in style. But then I also had to go to my, 1990 trade paperback excellent uh to read the intro because the intro by bar is different than the one in the 30th anniversary deluxe edition where he talks about the origins of this story so i, I kind of jumped around but i'm like i'm i'm a little hesitant on the the trade because i mean it's still holding up but the the binding the glue is a little sure. weak from the cover to the first page now because this is this is old <laughs> this is 34 years old that i've had this and it's in really good shape other than that glue being a little little off but I, it's a treasure I've, I've had it for a long time the intro by bar what's it titled in your 1990 uh, trade batman year two take two it was written in october okay. of 89 okay um nifty yeah, so that's that's interesting. So I did I also did a combination. Um and that Batman Year Two Fear the Reaper, the trade paperback released in two thousand two. That cover. That it's where so I 
I read that, but then I also checked it out on Hoopla and uh, read it on there as well. And like you said, so there's an intro called On the Shoulders of Giants, an introduction written by Mike W. Barr. In my 2002 trade, that's the first um, intro. Like that, that, That's at the beginning. In the like reading on Hoopla, the 30th edition, the deluxe hardcover collection, um, that on the shoulders of giants is in the back of the book, and there's a new one written that's at oh, the front. Okay. So yours being geared to take two, I really am curious what information is like released in that. So Barr did three; he wrote three different introductions for three different versions, and I'm curious because in uh, just like what was maybe said in your intro because full circle had not come out yet and just like up front we're not going to talk full circle because that's a separate story and who knows maybe hobby will accept an invite back here to talk full circle one day um i'm just curious with the intro on on that trade um if it says much that's worth it's yeah it starts off that this uh year two was a genesis for a treatment he wrote in march of 1984 Mm. called batman 1980 and he was yes. trying to make a more coherent story out of batman's origins including mm-hmm. like his relationship with gordon some questions like why he doesn't carry a gun and uh he was just trying to make sense of it all so he wrote it on spec um just for himself like it wasn't something dc hired him to do uh so he wrote the story he <laughs> took it to the editors and uh they were quite happy with Batman's history as it stood and they had no plans to change it. Thank you very much. So he shrugged and put the story away and hopefully maybe he could use it on an original character. And then he became the writer of detective two years later and he was informed about them doing uh, Batman year two to follow year one. And um, at one point they were going to run in chronological order. Um, But he's like, what a good idea. And dusted off his Batman 1980 treatment. And he says in the intro that year two has about 75% of his ideas from Batman 1980. Um, With some of them being unsuitable after reading Frank's scripts for year one. Yeah. So. I I think it probably worked out better by using that title of year two. Because the year one year blah 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 stuff is uh, now... It's it's almost a well that I feel DC goes back to too much, but coming right hot off the presses following year one marketing, it is a good, like it's a good idea. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I can't fault them for that. Do you remember the first time that you read this? Uh, It was this trade. So 1990, 1990, probably at my, probably at my friend Anthony's house who Mm -hmm. his mom was a little leery of the cover because Batman is holding the gun and his, his team yellow oval logo is scratched, crossed out and bloody. And she didn't know if it was suitable for some 13 year olds to read. Apparently that is my recollection of it. And that's a great image. Um, I, I think. And so I thought, so this, my trade cover fear of the reaper is a prettier uh image 
then when you open and that just seems like older and darker and like dirtier, you know, kind of yeah. a grungier kind of image. Um, and I like that a lot. And I'm like, man, I wonder what this one was used. And then I saw it's the cover of the 1990 trade. And then I also saw as you just picked up your deluxe edition hardcover. It's part of the the book itself underneath the dust jacket. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. It is. It is. And here's what's weird about this. And I was going to put up a tweet on it. The year two, the 1990 trade has Batman with eyes, which in 1990 was not something you mm -hmm. see a lot of. And I feel like I'm used to it now with all the movies, especially the Batman with the Arkham games. But when you take off the dust jacket of the deluxe edition and it reuses that 1990 trade art, mm -hmm. Batman is white eyes only. There's no pupils at all. It's your classic Batman. When you open mine. Oops. Where am I going? There am I. No uh, pupils. No pupils. So you, maybe you've so, just got an aired one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird to me because what stood out to me in 1990 as being odd and different yeah. now looks strange to have the classic version. Like now the classic version doesn't look right to me. Oh boy. Oh geez. But I like I like your trade because that's the full circle cover, which I remember seeing that promo art for the first time and just being blown away by just how Alan Davis draws Batman. He's, he's such a phenomenal Batman artist who doesn't get, get enough Quite credit. An image. Quite an image. I mean, he's got his own book, but mm -hmm. um, like, cool. I don't think they've ever done like a black and white statue of, of his stuff. Mm. True. So. Uh, this, I don't think it, like I honestly can't remember if it was 2002 or 2003. It preceded buying to uh Long Halloween in the fall of 2003 or 2004. Oh my gosh, I'm getting them all mixed up. Uh, I think it was 2003. This now look at this ordering online. Um, I bought this year one and the Killing Joke. Wow. I had a very small selection. I I had the greatest Batman stories ever told. A Lonely Place of Dying, and I think those were my bet in Nightfall Part One, Two and Three. No, that was kind of like my trade collection at that point. And then I had single essentials. And then yeah, I got I got money, and I was like, I'm buying Batman comics, and this was part of it. Because I'm like, well, I can't, I can't get year one and not get year two. I gotta get year two. Um, so I remember reading it. Like those are those are some good times of like if you think about it like as that was around when I read year one for the first time when I read Killing Joke for the first time like this was included in that that core group when I had a bat shelf and it was just like one shelf and not a bat bookcase <laughs> times five <laughs> yeah well I mean um, you're the librarian you've got to have a I do now a whole bookcase I've, now. I've had to put in the work to to fill a bookcase uh why year two. It's it's just one of those seminal stories from my youth um, mm -hmm. as a as a Batman fan that I really love. Uh, definitely like you was one of my first trades. It's not the first, um, but it was up there. So it was something yeah. I I read a lot. And mm -hmm. part of me likes it more than year one, or at least oh. I did back then. Oh. But. Let me explain. Easy, like, easy like, boy. 
year one has grown in my estimation tremendously since I was a naive 12 year old. Um, I think one of the things I, that I really gravitated towards year two a lot was that it's a Batman story primarily. Yeah, I get that. And Gordon's a supporting character versus year one. Gordon's more the lead. Um, and you know, it's half a Batman story at most. Um, and so I think that's why I liked it a little bit more. Um, but now I don't know, I'd probably give the edge to year one now because I can see just what a masterpiece it is and so excited to get that IDW release that's like coming out this summer of the Mazzucchelli art. That's gonna be mm -hmm. amazing to see. Hmm. Um I forget but I, when I picked it because like no one talks about this story really. Like it's kind of forgotten. The Reaper's gotten used after it's funny. circle, like twice. It's it's funny because it's one that I expect. So at the time of this recording, I haven't mentioned that we're doing this, that we're covering this book. Um, when I do, it, I, I just feel like it's one that's going to get uh, reactions. It's going to get thoughts and opinions. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And not like, like, oh my God, everybody in social media is going to react. It's just, no, it's one <laughs> in Batman comic book readers is like, they know this story. But like you said, too, of like, sometimes it can be, um, what do you want to say? Uh, skipped over? Not talked about? Overshadowed? Yeah. I am the shadows. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I was, ex I was, I forget when you and I first brought it up, but I think it was brought up in the conversation when we talked about the chalice, I think. And I think you went with the chalice first. Uh, and then that's how we ended up landing on like, okay, well, then that just means when you're back home, we'll talk here too. Uh, something that's interesting in looking at this is the, 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 the Reaper. So this in the, my trade, it's just, you know, Batman year two fear the Reaper, mm -hmm. uh, the chapter breakdowns, the very first part slash first chapter, their detective comics, five seventy five is titled fear the Reaper. Um, the Reaper itself, we talked about this, uh, me and good old Ryan Haas on the Spooky Month in 2021, the first of October, uh, episode 78, October 2021, uh, Batman number 237, Night of the Reaper. Uh, very not the same guy, similar aesthetic, but yeah. definitely reworked. And the character itself is vastly different. And then in Batman Life After Death that Tony Daniel wrote and drew. He did like a rem uh, a remix of the character of the Reaper, but more so based on that Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill, Batman uh, 237 design than this Reaper. So this Reaper kind of, in, a, in the sequel, full circle design, kind of just stays in its own, uh, what do you want to say, corner, if you will. Yeah, and I was I meant to look at it again before we recorded. He shows up in the Scott Snyder run, like maybe midway through for like an issue. But I don't think they really go into who's underneath the mask or anything like that. But I always appreciated seeing the character again. You know, I came across that too, and I meant to jot that down and then look it up because... 
obviously many of us around these here parts, we've read Scott Snyder's Batman run. Um, but I'm really... I'm looking. Detective Comics Annual 2019. Um, okay. So, yeah, there was an annual then, but it's... It's somewhere in there. I want to say it's before, like, the robo bunny batman before all that stuff yeah now i'm curious i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go through and look see if it fail <laughs> i'm not I mean, a librarian is... <laughs> i don't know any of this I, this I has it was... always been just something i wanted to to get to with you but it's like we focus so much on like the batman stories i read when i was a kid between like year three and legends of the dark knight and and uh, i just wanted to pace it out a little bit you know sure and well, you know what? And that's talking about another story. And we're here talking about year two. So the Reaper himself. And I know I brought him up. Um, I think we can. I don't know. There's a couple different elements in. This year two four issue story. And like what I jotted down is kind of like the biggest like. Uh, seeds of the story are the Reaper. Joe Chill. Batman gun. And. Yeah. Rachel Caspian. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the biggest takeaways. And just before we de- like talk specifically about each one, I think um, generic thoughts of this story is I enjoy it. I think it's good. I think it could be better. Uh, I think it would have benefited by at least one more issue, maybe two issues, because there's some quick jumping things. And the biggest Part of that to me is the Rachel character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel! The that is just it's so sped through. And I really think something that's done that I, I guess it just depends on how you feel is how quickly the identity of the Reaper is revealed. Uh, they don't let that mystery like uh, linger. It's just like this is who it is now. Pending, yeah, it's, it's pending what you pre- at all. Pending what you prefer, that could be cool because then it can create a whole like, oh, you know, but Bruce doesn't know, you know, sort of thing. As you're seeing them shake each other's hands and talk at dinner and stuff like that, it's like that's an interesting perspective. I wonder how it would have worked if we didn't know who the Reaper was too, you know? So like that part's interesting to me. And uh, I think they probably could have milked that a little bit longer. They could have milked the quote unquote clashing of Gordon and Batman, maybe just a little bit longer. Uh, And then, yeah, the, I think of those things that I just kind of like announced, I do think the Joe chill Batman gun angles are, that's given the most time and weight in these four issues. I don't think that's shortchanged at all. Yeah. And I think it's obviously they went with four because year one was four issues, but in one of the things that threw me off about year two is because I did read it after year one. Mm -hmm. So I was expecting it to be, January 1st, January 15th, January 2nd. And year two is pretty much a month maybe out of year two. I mean, it's hard to say, but it's not a very 
long stretch of time. It's not the entire year. It's a specific incident mm-hmm. that defined that year for Batman. And uh, I would throw Leslie Tompkins as being an important factor in this story as well. Um, and that was one of the things Barr tried to do was like bring in, you know, reintroduce Leslie earlier in the, in the timeline and how she was formative of Batman being Batman in his early days, not just the night the Waynes died. Okay. But I want to, st- let's stay on okay. her as you can, you can justify um, why you think, why you want to bring her into the conversation. She's one that I also feel like she needs more to do. Um, She just kind of hops in and it's just like, it's almost like she's, says the same stuff that Alfred says to me. Now, this is... I'm not saying anything bad about the character. I love Leslie Tompkins. I'm saying, like, in this story of, like, I think another issue or two could have made her more powerful than what's given here. So, I I don't think... You're not, like, on the complete opposite side of me, but, I mean, a little bit, and, like, you think, like, she has good material, she's in this enough, she's a good standout part of this story. I what I like about Leslie and Alfred in this is they're kind of the surrogate parents for Bruce. Mm-hmm. You know, Alfred standing in for Thomas and Leslie standing in for Martha. Why did you say that name? Um <laughs> and and so I like that she is very much like his mother. He's trying to please her by giving her the penthouse of you know Wayne Tower. And doing all these things for her and how it, you know, how he, he turns around when he makes his realization at the end um, by giving her something that she, what she really wants, not what Bruce wants her to have. And she's important too, because she's that catalyst for him meeting Rachel. Um, True. And, and I feel like she's more disapproving of Batman's nightlife than Alfred is, at least at this point. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Sure. Cause I, I'm, she directly has dialogue concerning him going out. Whereas Alfred is more of the supportive. I, you know, I have your suits, uh, you know, sort of deal. And she is, I think her, my impression of her in the story though, is like, because of my informed opinion of her in the comics and Batman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. So by saying Leslie Tompkins, when I first read this, even it was like, oh, yeah, she has the clinic and she she knows who Bruce is and she helps Bruce. They're allies and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but not much of that was formed by these four issues. It was yeah. formed by other things. Um, I can see that. And so that's just where I kind of feel like, oh, I feel like there could be maybe more with her if they gave another issue or two. Um, that's like the only kind of short changing that I feel about. Um, but I think what she is also given is like she. So maybe I just contradict myself in saying like I do think it's not. Uh, she they Barr makes use of her appearance, quote on screen, you know, to like you just said, she's catalyst to meeting Rachel. It's like okay, that's a, that's a, otherwise how does Bruce meet Rachel? Okay, Leslie, she makes it. Okay, Bruce, he has a good like little like character um not redemption, but like a good moment by instead of building the high tower and stuff and Leslie, it's like the one line of how she's like basically her patients aren't gonna come down here. Um he at the end of hey, here's the clinic, more so in your neighborhood where you're 
patients are and they're going to come. It's not some fancy penthouse tower. This is more of what you would want. It's like that's a that's a a feel good little moment that adds to like the relationship of Leslie and Bruce in comics, in the TV series and stuff. Well, and it speaks to like the tragedy too of of Batman. Yeah. Because why is he Batman? Because his parents got murdered. <clears throat> Instead of moving on, pardon me, he's like stuck in that moment. He's frozen. And here he has two people that are surrogate parents, like we just talked about. And, you know, he can move on and have a life. He could be this great philanthropist and and have a mother and father to turn to and Alfred and Leslie. Like he has that moment, that rebellious son moment. Where he's like, I'm going to go see Rachel, whether you approve of it or not, Leslie, you know, like he's throwing it in her face. Like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, mom, and you can't stop me. And she's like, no, I think you're great. You should go together. He's like, well, okay, then <laughs> I guess I'm going to go, you know, and, and it's, I don't know, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic that we don't really get to see, but you know, it's, it's the whole fortune cookie aspect of it. You know, we can try to avoid our our fate, but we can't escape it, or something like that. The cookie that he that he gets at the restaurant. So I mean, yeah, you could definitely always go with more, use more Leslie Tompkins, but I think she was a pretty important part of the books. It's not something we get to see a lot of in the Batman stories. As important as a character as she is, and how malign she's been in some storylines like war games <laughs> um all right let's go i'll get it out of the way then now and then the rachel character little undercooked almost raw <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that much undercooked i don't Besides the end of the story, I don't see that removing her would hurt the story at all. Mm. Because Bruce jumps to like, hey, and you are. Hey, can I see you again sometime? She's like, no, because I'm going to become a nun. And then it's, hey, let's go get ice cream in the park. Let me drop it. All right, let's kiss. And then the next appearance is, I love Rachel more than I've loved anybody else in my entire life. And then here's a ring. And it's like, what the hell just happened? It There's jumps a... <laughs> so fast. It just, yeah. it, too much. It skips, leaps, frogs. Leaps, frogs? There you go. Perfect English. Um, It jumps over just too many like char like character building to give it weight for the end, which on its own is a pretty good, like, uh, impactful moment but there's just not much before that that really makes it sting or hurt there's a lot of it feels like there's a lot of stuff that we didn't see off camera like there's a lot of deleted scenes that are on the cutting room floor of this relationship to sacrifice for the story plot um because she she gives him like this it's very spider-man-y is what I was thinking of when I was reading it over this past week, because he's got the conflict of how, you know, his superhero life is getting in the way of his personal life and 
the worlds are ble- are bleeding together between you know Batman fighting the Reaper and the Reaper being you know the father of for this point the love of his life because I mean let's fa- let's face it like when you're young you know you can fall in and out of love at the drop of a hat sometimes you know and Bruce being kind of stunted with relationships like to find someone who he thought was going to be this shallow person and she she suffered the same tragedy as he did but she's going about Mm -hmm. it her acts of service in a different way and i think that's what the appeal is and it can kind of get glossed over amidst all the other storytelling of the joe chill of it all and bringing down the reaper and so it does i feel like you're right it does suffer that we don't get enough development on it especially from like a modern context where if this was a modern story it would be six parts and not four yeah. So Barr would have a lot more room to play with, I feel like. Um, but I, I like the, as short changed as it is, I do like the the dynamic. You, you, you're just basically filling in your own gaps onto the relationship. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. kind of where the downfall of it is. And and her as a character, I have nothing negative to say because she seems very, like, Barr's written her as genuine and as someone who you know she sees through bruce's public performance she sees through it in everything it's just she's not given enough for that and then the the end the moment of where you know he goes to see her and she basically says you know bruce my father he and he's like i know rachel and she's like you know i have to make amends for what he did and then she's holding up the the nun attire and it's just like Bruce, I'm so sorry. And he says, I do understand Rachel. And he leaves her. And I'm like, that's a good moment. That's a like it's weird to say that it's that's a good moment. But <laughs> you know, Bruce basically got he was going all in and then he got basically denied. It was just like, nope. And it takes her right back to where she was at the beginning of the story. Except now she's completely parentless. Um, I feel like that could have just packed more of an oomph uh with more material for her not that we're filling in and that we're trying to make up for ourselves it because sometimes if i have to stop and think about it where bruce has to say you know like i love her more than anybody else ever you know if i'm stopping i'm like dude you got you got she doesn't even have many pages then it's like i feel like for me there's something wrong there um not that i needed him to list of even a little a comic montage of them going, you know, skipping, frolicking in the park for ice cream, eating fruity pebbles together in the morning, something like that. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, that's okay. That's that's at least showing, okay, over time we've done this, but instead it feels, yeah. So now I'm just kind of like circling the drain, saying the same stuff, but that's kind of my quote unquote issue with the rush factor of Rachel. Rachel! Yeah, we, we don't get as much of the relationship as I would like. And I think Mm -hmm. we do get some hints of it later in full circle kind of, but I I can see where you're coming from. It definitely doesn't feel like enough, especially, especially if you want to compare it to something that came after uh, mask of the phantasm. I've heard of that movie. Yeah. Seeing that, um, the whole the first time I watched it, I'm just thinking this is kind of like Batman Year Two. This is like Batman Year Two. You got 
Batman falling in, in love with someone. And there's this guy in a skull mask who sounds exactly like his love interest's father. Cause it's the same voice. Uh, it was very much this year two is very much in my mind. The first time I saw mask of the phantasm in the theater. I'm trying to think which part it was because that's also something um, readers, listeners of this podcast with this story instantly go to, there's a link between year two and mask of the phantasm. And it's said everywhere. I've never come across anything that have had the people behind uh, the animated series say, Oh yes, absolutely. Year two. But you can feel the inspired by for the reasons that you just said. And there is in chapter two called deal with the devil. And I think it happens to all big Willie Galanka. Love the name. Bring him back <laughs> in Gotham. I'm just saying. Uh, but there's a moment on that. It might be like the third page of or second or something where the Reaper has a gun pointed at his head. And he's like, you know, in the last moments of your life, you at last know wisdom, William Galonka. To me, completely felt your angel of death awaits, yeah. you know, and so in with that. And then, like you said, the just the pure like the skull faced ish stuff and like the 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 weapons on the hand, it, it feels very much like, oh, this I can totally see this is a cousin of the phantasm or the phantasm is a cousin of the Reaper, like. I see the link. And then you throw in the father daughter aspect relation to Bruce. It's like, oh, okay, there's another factor. And though Phantasm twists it a little bit, it's still there. So those are like the links instantly that I think it's valid. If anybody says, you know, Phantasm was inspired by year two, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I think so too. I mean, let's start the Twitter campaign now for. William Galonka for the Penguin supporting Gary Big Willie Galonka. Big Willie. Big Willie. Big Willie, Willie Styles all in it. <clears throat> which um, um I'm I'm curious which story did you come across first, Mask of the Phantasm or Year 2? Phantasm. Okay. I I did, saw did Phantasm. Did this feel derivative when you read it then? No. Uh I I don't I don't think so at all. Uh I honestly don't know what connections I thought when I first read this. Um, Cause I'd have been, I mean, it was like 15 or 16. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't tell it. I can't speak for it. I'm not going to make anything up either. <laughs> well, actually, Hoppy, I was really smart. <laughs> my she, 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 she. All right. So we, okay. We talked about, okay. Let's talk about some story beats in this. Cause I think bar does pack. Uh, a lot into these four issues, uh, yeah. which um, I applaud and I respect. And I do actually think that they're good. I think. I don't know what's the bigger headline out of this story. The Reaper himself. Joe Chill's inclusion or Batman with a gun. The cover of your trade of Batman holding that gun. I wonder if. They haven't used that cover since your trade because of almost people now trying to erase history that Batman's never used a gun before. Um, 
and because of that firm stance that it's just like we just don't want that image out front and center anymore so i don't know with year two which part maybe year two is most known for what would you think i mean it's a pretty stark image i'm gonna scratch joe chill I think it's either people think year two and instantly think the Reaper or they think Batman with a gun. Yeah. I think Joe Chill comes behind both of those. I think, yeah, for like a, for lack of a better term, for like a GA perspective. Yeah. You know, if you're not really into Batman that much, it would be the Reaper or the gun. But the I think the Reaper would probably, especially from this standpoint, would be more like, is that the Phantasm versus mm. Batman with a gun? I think just it stands out because it's so antithetical to the character. And that's the whole point yeah. that Barr is trying to make in the story. That that give a that image, that drawing, uh would give a knee-jerk reaction to anybody, I think. I've kind of like, yeah. what? And I think what? I think that's very purposeful why that's the cover of it's a different image but mm -hmm. the cover for 575 with him holding the gun and having the the holster strapped to his chest with the line cutting through the his symbol yeah like i think that's very intentional to get readers attentions because every cover i'm double checking myself <clears throat> yeah every cover for this four issue series has batman holding a gun so I think I think that probably would be the standout. Barr was not trying to make it subtle. <laughs> no. Hey, Batman's got a gun in this story. So and with it, that, it's not. It doesn't feel like it's a political thing either. Like if this happened today, I'm sure there would be a be whole very bunch political. of yeah. trolls commenting and everything. But it's the context of the story and the context yeah. of the image itself would be lost and not spoken of. And it's it's not. It's not even the fact that it's a gun either, which I think you can't tell just from looking at the covers. It's the gun that murdered his parents specifically, mm -hmm. which once you read it adds that different layer to it. Like it's even worse than you, than you think it is for the character because it's not just a gun. It's mm -hmm. the gun. So it's introduced so in the story after Batman gets his ass kicked by the Reaper in their first their first meetup um and by ass kicked i mean ass yeah kicked. um he stands no chance he gets shot at by the reaper um he's everything i had all my skill all my strength and it still wasn't enough is what he tells leslie and then he looks up at the picture of his parents and he says i've always dreaded this but perhaps the only way to avenge them is to fight my enemy on his own terms to fight the kind of men who killed them with the weapon that made me what i am the gun that took their lives. I'll give it to Bar two. He does a really good, like, not cliffhanger of each at the end of each issue, but a big like, oh, where's she going with this? Like, yeah. that's the last panel is Bruce like holding that gun. The like a the, good the last, yeah the the yeah. end of issue two is him face to face with Joe Chill. Um, I'm trying to think three again. Maybe a little bit less so, but I mean, still, it's him as Batman holding the gun um, with his back turned to Joe Chill. So, I mean, Bart did a good job of ending each issue on a point of intrigue. With the gun here, I think in the context of the story, 
if you can sit and when you're reading it and you think about it, Bruce's position as Batman, I think it totally works that young in his career as the caped crusader that he would think about a gun. Well, yeah, it's, I think that, it's year I, it's two, a, right? Yeah. He's young. Like, I don't know. He was headstrong for a, you know, a year, but then he just like got, if you want to take year one as is, and then this follows up from year, year one. Well, no, it was a whole SWAT team in year one. But like that year he one is... this is one on like one guy and he just got completely demolished. Yeah. But like year one is him against crooked cops and mm-hmm. and gangsters. Like this is year two, and this is the first time he's as far as we can tell, this is the first time he's facing a costume threat. Mm-hmm. And not only is it a costume threat that's on his level, someone who's even bigger than him, it's like the OG Gotham vigilante. Yeah. Like and and he's all armored up just like Batman is. He has tricks just like Batman does, but he's not afraid to kill. In fact, he relishes it. So mm-hmm. it, it makes sense in that perspective of like why he would turn, you know, to the gun. This isn't a Batman who's fought the Joker and Riddler dozens upon dozens of times before. Like he doesn't know what to do at this point. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I go ahead. I was going to say, I found it really interesting, too, looking at it from that year one, year two perspective of mm-hmm. looking at, like, the long Halloween as, like, the transition between the mob and the freaks. I, I've heard about <laughs> it. I, I don't know anyone who's read it, but oh, okay. I've heard of it. Um, looking at that that transition from one mm-hmm. type of villain to the other, like, this lines up perfectly with that. I don't know if it was intentional or not. But by the end of this, like the Reapers cleared out a lot of Gotham's mafia and it's not overt. Um, it's not like overtly said uh, where they make a big deal about it, but he cleans house. So it kind of sets the stage for the rise of the supervillain. It's one that we've seen before, too, or we've seen since of the topic of batman's way versus somebody who's a a more extreme version of batman yeah and batman's like this is how it needs to be done the more extreme versions you could argue are getting more results and people and you can see reactions to the more extreme version of like this this is working this is kind of working um, I think the fact of bringing up this Reaper character and how he a lot of sometimes it can totally bother me of somebody just comes in out of nowhere and then exposition dump on their history and then we just need to accept it. This, I think, works well for me because it's not so reliant on everything that happened in the past that we didn't know. It's just like quickly kind of referenced of like at the beginning as the TV host is talking to Gordon and it's just like, you know, it reminds us of, uh, you know, the Reaper character of 20 years ago. And that's just like, kind of all you really need to know. And then Caspian yeah. returns to see Rachel and then bars like, well, let's not even hide this <laughs> and shows, shows him go to his closet and open up and there's the whole Reaper uh, outfit. And then he goes out and he just starts, you know, 
he picks back up and it's like i don't know that's a it feels like a pretty like smooth or easy way to to just accept him entering the story and we're off and running and it works for me it doesn't cause speed bumps for me or make me hesitate to think like wait hold on a second this isn't really working it it worked for me i think it's always worked yeah for me. yeah the the economy of the storytelling is really good and you do feel a little bit of a connection with year one how the the promotion of gordon at the end of that to captain versus now he's commissioner that's i think the only part to me that feels connected to year one is that first couple pages gordon on tv with the the tv host and that to me that just feels like that's it and then this kind of ends up being its own thing well there's Might, there's maybe just be bar, me. bar mentions it too and his many intros that there's yeah you know you've got batman fighting the cops again mm-hmm. um very similar to year one uh he homages the narration to his father in the third issue um so there's some loose connectivity to it but it's where year one zigs like year two zags yeah you know year one was spread out this is very concise um, and bar bar i forget which intro it is like you said the many he has uh where he mentions about miller's batman and bar's batman are very different they yeah. both love the character but they love him almost for different reasons and love different parts about him whereas yeah. I, I forget the exact wording but the one he mentioned like frank likes to know like what makes him tick basically and Barr loves the the Batcave, the sidekicks, the you know the Batmobile stuff like that, um, the Rogues Gallery, you know, and and stuff like that too. So you know, it doesn't surprise me. How old did you say you were when you first read it? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. These four issues, like Batman's in them, suited and fighting as Batman. Yeah. So it would totally make sense that, especially I think at a younger age, is like. You're not as interested. I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for you. I wasn't as interested as like Bruce Wayne on screen. It's like, where's where's the bat costume? You know, year two provides the bat costume. Year one doesn't provide a ton of the bat costume. No. Year one pro- goes to Gordon a lot and then to Bruce Wayne. And you're like, okay, well, where's Batman? When I was younger, this is like a little bit of Gordon, Batman, 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 little Bruce Wayne, Batman, Batman, Batman. So, you know, it was good for my eyes of like, oh, God, there he is. There's Batman. Oh, no, he just got beaten up by uh, a skeleton. Ah, you know, sort of deal. And there's some good Batman in this this storyline. There's a lot of good Batman. It doesn't. I understand different time periods. He's very talky with the opening criminals that he takes down. Almost a little cheese. And... Actually, in reading this Legends of the Dark Knight, Alan Davis, it's got a, a bunch of the Bar Davis Detective Comics issues. Yes, and Batman's a little—he's so... a little cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> and stuff. So they're enjoyable. They are enjoyable stories. Period. I like them. Um, but he—he he does make his Batman a little talky in an environment, which is funny because it does make me think. And it might just be because I have it on the on the brain. I just watched uh, RoboCop, and. <laughs> That dirty 80s city vibe. I think this Gotham is dirty 80s. Oh, yeah. City. But then it's weird to have Batman be a little like 
I've got some lines to tell you criminals as opposed to just being like someone from the shadows and then just whipping ass. <laughs> well, when we did a lonely place of dying and I, mm -hmm. not a lonely place of dying, death in the family. And Definitely. I read from like Batman 400 to 429. Yeah. To prep for that. 80s Batman liked to talk. He liked the sound yeah. of his own voice quite a bit, a lot. I, I kind of think that, you know, not, researching it that much like that was the shift to like the more silent batman was a death in the family i feel like um but i love i love reading year two and then mm -hmm. you know when full circle came out and then having gone back and read the the bar stuff that he did with with alan davis it's it's very much a world that they created yeah. Um, there are recurring characters at like the bars and and it's a very lived in gritty Gotham. And yeah, Jack and I watched the Batman last night, uh, That's which is movie. also which is also set during year two, mm -hmm. as it says it on the thing. So there's a, a lot of just interesting parallels between the worlds of just Batman knocking at the door of the club. Like that's, that's stuff that Barr did in his work um, with Davis that I thought of that parallel last night watching it. Nice. Um, it's been two about... years since that movie came out. That and now we're talking about Batman year two and that movie set in year two. And it's that book connected. came out in 87. This is episode 187. It's all connected it's all obviously. connected it's all connected this is crazy this is nuts i want to talk about the art because how yes. can we not talk about the art first off i love these tales of the batman legends of the dark knight collections that have come out over like the past 10 years gives me a lot of physical access to a lot of comic book issues i appreciate yeah. it whoever's in charge of the coloring doesn't do a great job <laughs> um, I did some comparing. You get a little, you take a little away. That's... I get did some comparing and contrasting, and a fault that happens in these reprints, in these recolorings and stuff like that, is, uh, like, like over there, I've got let's see, Len Wein, Marshall Rogers, Alan Brenner, Don Newton, Gene Colan, um, just some of those they make it to where almost like their art looks pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that couldn't be any further from the truth. Uh, and when I do a holdup of my trade with this, the coloring, some of the coloring just feels very lazy as well. Like even as something as simple as skies, which some people may, may say that that's not a big deal. Um, it kind of like, I don't know. That's what I mean. It's like something as much of a sky. It just seems like it went, eh, let's just take this purple marker and go boop. All right, sky's done. Whereas you look in the actual, like the trade, and I know it has to do probably with the paper as well. Um, the trade has, like the sky has different layers of coloring. Yeah. And shading. And um, something as much as like in the trade, Leslie's wearing a robe and it's got, you know, it's white around the neck and it's white around the around the wrists and the rest is pink. And they're just like, nah, it's all pink. Like a you know, it's like stuff like that. There's, it limits depth in like the the alleys in Gotham and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, the background's all gray. Whereas in the actual issues itself, it's like, no, here's some green, here's some brown, here's some gray. You know, um, 
So least impressed in looking at all of this in the Legends of the Dark Knight collection. However, on Hoopla, looking at your at your 30th uh, deluxe edition digitally and then my trade, the coloring looks the same. So I don't know if your collection has glossy paper because the Legends of the Dark Knight no, Alan no, Davis no. is glossy paper. My trade is more of the paper that I like. Yeah, um, the, um, the deluxe not... is the paper that you like. Okay, cool. Um, but the coloring on it matches like beat for beat. Your the, trade? Um, my trade, which is awesome. more of a... Not quite as glossy, but it's still a very fine, very slick feeling, glossy, heavy duty paper. Mm-hmm. So now that you mentioned that, because I forgot to look at the at the Alan Davis book, but thinking about those images, yeah, the, there is a different, almost a flatter color to a lot of the stuff because I do have a few of those issues in print. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're both in print, the original issues. And yeah, the color timing is different for that. Like whatever remastering they did to make that yeah. volume, it doesn't quite align with the other versions I'm used to. And it kind of carries over into like the line of those books. So I, yeah. like I said, I appreciate them when one comes out, I get it because it's a way to give me collections of issues and stuff, but the coloring's like, ah, and the coloring in this, and I actually missed out, missed the name. So I said, Steve Olaf, Gloria Vasquez, and then Tom Z I U K O. Um, They were on the coloring of this. I, yeah. Tom Z. Thank you. I like the coloring of the issues. Um, I think it's all, I think it's well done. Um, let me just see it. Cause I noticed another, you know, the, um, nope, they're colored, colored really, really well. Um, my 1990 but, trade does not give credit to the colorists. <gasps> it says writer, penciler, inker, and letterer. When you go to each individual issue, it doesn't mention the colorist mm. at all. You um, know what? That's not so I don't know if any away. of that. I mean, someone had to color the book, but yeah, I don't know what the actual <laughs> breakdown is. Although I do know that the associate editor of this is Mark Wade. Look at that. For at least my, too. my original trade. Well done. He's worked his way up. First uh, printing, June 1990. So as we see, let's see, Alan Davis did the first issue. And something mm-hmm. that I really liked that I noticed is I noticed in these collections of like the multiple kind of what looks like, Oh, this must've been the cover, but then you turn the page and it's like, wait, where was this the cover? Um, It's because he did something cool and it's not title cards, but it is like, Oh, here's the cover. And then you turned it and it's like fear the reaper. And it's got almost what looks like a, a almost like a movie poster or something with it mm-hmm. on that first part, which is cool. And then the story starts. And I really liked how they did that for each, for each issue. Just like a little extra um, flavor. Yeah, it ties it in with year one Mm -hmm. where you had the cover, then you turned the page and it's kind of like that that teaser before you got into it. (laughs) You son of a bitch. I didn't even think of that. (laughs) I'm learning something every day. It's it's funny too, the, the 1990 version. I know we keep comparing them. It says that um he talks about the differences between Neil Adams and McFarlane and how, uh, did I see Neil Adams, Alan Davis, how he took inspiration from Neil Adams, but 
more of like the manta ray mm-hmm. organic looking batman versus todd mcfarlane is more bob kane and explosion of black glass which you can definitely see in the jaggedness of his cape um but in the 1990 version it says alan and paul had to leave detective for personal reasons and it became dc's task to find a replacement but then in my 30th anniversary edition he doesn't talk about it that much but he basically just hints that you know dc changed some of the art without his permission yes and and then he noped out of the whole project because of that yeah so i think you hit on two things there that i i was meaning to bring up also in bar's intro in the deluxe edition and he says about alan's version of the dark knight is a manta ray and todd's is a massive broken glass i'm like this is why you're a writer because that is a great <laughs> description distinguishing the two um it is. and yet there's and it's so... something that stuck with me for 34 years the todd and broken glass part mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about a specific image um, it's just like, oh my God, that's such a great description. And yet somehow I think y- you have Davis on one issue, McFarlane on three, and they kind of work together. You know, it's not such a drastic change. You're like, oh, ah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd mentioned w- what I have seen is about DC changing. Let's see. That Davis's cover for the first chapter had been, or a chapter had been changed without his consent or even worse, his knowledge. And da- and he, being Davis, felt he couldn't continue under those circumstances. Um. So therefore, is the I guess the answer to why Davis left and McFarland jumped in, in which he said, also, which you know, it's it's funny when somebody points something out and it's like it's been there this whole time, but I didn't even think about it. And how he said that Todd is Todd has drawn Batman from the scripts of only two writers, Frank Miller and me. And, you know, it was one of those. Oh my god, that's true. Because it's one of those arguments. Like, no, that's not true. Wait, oh my god, it is true. <laughs> you know, holy crap, that's true. I mean, and and part of it, you know, is because he owns his own toy company. But it's it's funny for a guy who's done a cover. Mm-hmm three issues and then a Batman spawn crossover, how much of his Batman has been captured in like a three dimensional form, be it a statue or an action figure specifically, specifically this book and the action figure that came out. What was it last year or the year before Uh, him at the grave at the graveyard? No, I feel like it was, it came out when the Batman came out. Because okay. that was the quality control issue on that and mm-hmm. the quality control issue on the Batman figures from the movie. Like it was gotcha. not a good it was not a good time for collecting his figures back then. I was striking out really hard. That figure looked and that definitely when I say of broken glass is like the cape yeah. on that looked like it could cut cut you if you touch oh it. Oh my god. That thing was <laughs> that thing was intense, man. Yeah. Uh, God bless Peter Vera for trying to help me find a replacement one after mine sure. went to hell. Yeah. But um, it was McFar- not McFarlane highlights in this. So I think he does a good job. Obviously. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. The coloring is good. 
he has two specific so towards the end of the second issue close up on gordon this is after the um the fight at the airport with reaper and batman and batman what shoots the gun out of gordon's hand um or mm-hmm. something and there's a a profile shot of gordon i think that's penciled so freaking good of his face and then it might be and then in the third part where Gordon's in the office and he's talking to, I mean, I think is that Bukowski or whatever. And he's kind of got his fingers up like this over his face. I think that's penciled like really, really freaking good. And I feel like those stood out to me because they felt a little bit more like it's kind of like some of Bermejo's really early stuff where you look back on it now and you start to see, Oh, here's a little snippet of his, the Joker style. Oh, here's yeah. a little snippet of his style, the realistic factor, like that starts to creep in. And those to me crept in of like, oh, this is like Todd discovering that this is where he's going to go with his art. Yeah. Um, And it's Gordon's face, but it's like it looks really, really good. And then, of course, there's, you know, Batman's cape, um, which which goes on to- for miles. Yeah, but it's like the ang- the angular like it's a static image that somehow is moving. Um I I've said that many times about Bray Fogel's capes. Um mm-hmm. and I think that there's there's siblings here. Maybe cl- cousins, but first cousins. Very close cousins. Um given that like where there's standouts to be able to do that with Batman's cape and I love realistic Batman grounded Batman. But when it's comic books, too, and the cape can just look freaking awesome. I'm like, hell yeah, give me that. Give me that shit all day, every day. Yeah, I I definitely feel the Bray Fogel comparisons. And it's tough because you can see, like you said, you see the McFarlane that's going to bring us Amazing Spider-Man in Spawn. Like there's some Bruce Wayne moments where I'm like, that looks like his Peter Parker. Mm. Um and there's just there's so much detail um in the way he does his line work especially when he starts inking at the end that stands it apart from the more organic and smooth and fluid um davis and i don't know if it just be like it might be my youth that i'm more accepting of it because like today i'd be like oh like as much as I love Batman Catwoman um, and I like Liam Sharp's art, like it feels so out of place when yes. he did those two fill-ins yep. with what Clayman was doing, like does not work. No. Takes me out of the story, changes the mood. I agree. Um, but but like maybe it's just my youth. I, I don't, I don't feel that way about year two, even though they are. I, I don't vastly I don't either. I just, I don't think that there's as bar worded it. They have such different styles, but like I don't know. Somehow it just, they go together in one trade, fine. It, and maybe because it's not a, it's not interrupting the story. It's not like Davis started it, and then McFarlane came in, and then Davis came back. Like yeah, it's one chapter, and then the rest of it looks consistent. So maybe that has a part to play in it as well. Yeah, like there's a baton passing, and that's what makes it work. I'm not really sure. But I, yep. but I love, I love the visuals of both these gentlemen. I think they did a phenomenal job. Yep. And I really like Alan Davis's Batman. That was, 
that was a big proponent why I got like Justice League the nail, just so I could see more of his Batman style and why I really appreciate about full circle because I feel especially with it being like years later that he went back to doing Batman again. Like he just nails every Batman image in full circle, which mm -hmm. that's another episode. But the, the groundwork is here and how he does Batman in, in year two. Um, I want to get to your thoughts of the got to partner up with Joe chill. Um, there are two types of people in this world. <laughs> All right. There are, there are people like me who like, I read the greatest Batman stories of all time. Is that what it was? The, whatever yes. greatest Batman stories that came ever out told. in like 89 ever told who've read like the classics, who've read like the whole Joe chill and Moxon backstory mm -hmm. and, and know to their core that Joe chill killed the Waynes. And there are other people like my brother-in-law, Eric, not Eric Holzaman. Oh, okay. My brother-in-law, Eric, who like that it's an unknown gunman and Batman is forever trying to, you know, avenge them and, and doesn't know the answer of who killed his parents. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in that first camp. I like whenever it's Joe chill, be it Batman begins or in the comics I like knowing that's who it was. You can play with it every now and then. You can throw in a Jack Napier once in a while. But um, I I liked having it harken back to that original iteration of the legend. And I like the... It, it pronounces the threat level of the Reaper. Because not only is he using the gun that killed his parents, but he has to... like literally deal with the devil like he's got to do the unthinkable and partner with the man who killed his parents like that's how bad the threat the reaper is that he's got to resort to these means to stop him um and in the end he can overcome without the gun or with with joe chill he can do it on his own so it's like a learning lesson as well but i i liked his inclusion and i liked it just there's a lot of good character moments that come from it. Like when Chill sees Batman with the gun, he's like, I used to carry a piece like that back in the yeah. day. And Batman's like, you don't say. I think Barr does a good job by including Joe Chill. It's adding a like I said at the end of that second issue of kind of like, oh damn. Um, it adds self-discipline to mm -hmm. Batman's characteristic that at that yeah. young, you know, at that young age. And how he's going along with it. And with the comment, like you just said, if I used to have a piece like that and, you know, Batman having to just kind of like let it roll off the shoulder, um, teaching him restraint and stuff. I'm. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact that it's Joe chill in 89, that it was Jack Napier. It didn't bother me. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I think if I have to choose Joe chill or random, um, I'd almost think random because then that's like something Batman's always chasing. Whereas if it's Joe chill, Joe chill dies. Like that can add, or that can maybe make Batman feel like he has to close the book on it then. Cause he's like, well, the guy who got my parents, he's done. I don't know. Well, that, but... that part's done, but his mission is still to make sure it never happens to anyone else. Correct. 
So but that's that's where if he doesn't have a name or face to put with it, that adds it, to it is his heroism is that he's still constant. doing it, even though he he got his vengeance, he got his own personal justice, vengeance. but his heroism comes from the fact that he's still doing I, it so no one else has to suffer. Well, bar and there's a like there's a variety of characterization of Joe Chill and what happens to Joe Chill in comics spread out over the years in three jokers oh, johns yeah. has him almost more of like what do you want to say of kind of like he was he was in a bad place in his life it was an accident that it happened basically he didn't mean for badness it was just like i'm it's, i forget i'm forgetting the wording and begins of what um chill says to the judge in the courtroom um and he's like sure i was you know hard up like a lot of people back then like that i feel like that characterization of joe chill is kind of how he was in three jokers and yeah here bar makes him like no he's scum yeah he's a flat out scum which i think adds to that batman has to work with him batman mm-hmm. could he could it could work some sympathy toward him if chill was more of that sympathetic kind of and very much of like I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it's like, no, in this one, he's a hired gun. He's he's yeah. a scum. Uh he's like, if I need dope or women, yeah, dope or women, I'll come here. I'll come into you. If you need someone rubbed out, you'll come to me. Like, so yeah, when you think of no that redeeming him. Exactly. No redemption for him. And so and you have that into you take that into consideration while you're reading the stuff. It's like that's adding to Batman's characterization in the story. Because of his tolerance and his restraint and his discipline, you know, because not only is he working with the guy that shot and killed his parents, but the guy is also like low level garbage. So. uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have a preference of kind of how is Joe Chill like or whatever, but I it I can say for this story, I think it totally works. Yeah. Um. Do you have anything else, any other topics before we uh, get into some questions? No, I think the Joe Chill one was the last one. That was the last one to, to talk last about. Last bullet yeah. in the chamber, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you some questions then, Javi. Yes, you've got a question. What was your favorite part of Batman Year Two? My favorite part? Mm-hmm. God, there's so many to choose from. Gasp. Um, I, I just I kind of like the the just the ending, mm. even though it, it predates Mask of the Phantasm. I just I like the resoluteness of Batman as a character at the end, and that final splash page of him going off into the night to do his thing. I think that it just speaks volumes to the character. Like he just went through this emotional ordeal he was going to walk away from everything which again is very spider-man he's going to quit and hang it up spider-man like he he was going to have this chance to be a normal to have a normal life um and instead he's he's recommitting to you know serving his community Mm. uh that he that he gave i think a lot man I think my favorite part is uh, the opening Batman scene, him taking down the the crooks. I love the 
I love the transition of in the studio with Gordon and the TV host. And like, you know, you can see that's almost like a movie transition yeah. of like, it's that's a TV. And then you zoom out and it's like, now you're in an apartment where that's what's on TV. And then it's bat- like criminals there that come home and then it's the bat signal in the window. And then the flashlight is on the yellow oval and then Batman yes. just kind of kicks their ass, even though there's a little bit of like some hokey little dialogue from Batman coming and stuff. Anything. It's like, ah, eh, I still like, I like that scene quite a bit. I think it's good um, stuff. I, I take it back. There was something <laughs> I wanted to mention. The transitions in this book are phenomenal. And not, not only that, that you just mentioned in that scene, like there's that window shot and you can see the bat signal in the background. Mm-hmm. And by the third panel, the bats replaced with Batman. Um, there's lots of shots of like uh, Caspian suiting up as the Reaper mm-hmm. and it's juxtaposed with Batman in a similar position, like getting ready to go out. Yeah. Um, just all the transitions in this book and the, the mirroring like Caspian's looking at his stuff. Rachel is holding her habit. Um, Batman's holding up his uniform. Uh, just so many, so many transitions, all the transitions are stuff. just really well done. That kind of leans right into the next question then of like, Javi, what's your favorite panel? I'm I'm really partial to the panel that it gets used in the intro of like Batman meeting the Reaper for the first time where Batman's squatting just a little bit and the Reaper's just standing tall because it's so indicative of the challenge Batman's about to face. But hmm. it's hard to pick just one. But I really like in my deluxe edition, which which is page 99, um, the whole sequence of Batman finally confronting Chill. And uh, like you get the flashback to the Wayne murders and in between the two is this demonic looking Batman. There's no face, just two white eyes. The cape is really curled up on itself and the flashbacks like the paneling is really jagged. Like it's just, you feel this monster coming from behind these flashbacks. And then it, it ends with the page ends with like Batman revealing himself with no black eye makeup underneath his cowl. Uh, I, I love that whole page. Cause it just says so much. I'm surprised. Cause I thought my pick was going to be very obvious because I thought that's what everybody's pick is. And it's the image that Todd made a toy of, of him in the graveyard with the Cape and the moonlight and the big tombstone with the angel and the wings spread and everything. It's like to me, for me took no time at all. My favorite pant that page. Yeah. (laughs) That I was trying to be original because yeah, Yeah. that's that or the, the, that's why I cheated in my favorite moment Cheater. by including that that last page because yeah. that's I mean it's it's so good they made a statue of that too. Yeah, I mean but what yeah. otherwise like what Im- like I'm not gonna say like what image because there I mean there are good ones but it's kind of like I don't know that's a bit of a showstopper to me. I love it. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, would you like to see this adapted in animation? I mean, I feel like we kind of kind of did a little bit with Mask of the Phantasm. Like Mask of the Phantasm is like, like you've got your adaptations like Year One and The Dark Knight Returns where they're very much 
like we're just taking this and putting it over here and not changing it mm-hmm. like mask of the phantasm is like the batman hush of animation stuff where it takes like ideas but then tricks it up to make it a new experience or like gotham back by gaslight i kind of feel like mask of the phantasm is that type of adaptation for year two but a straight up i mean i would always say straight yes up. To, a, okay. to a straight up year two adaptation um i wouldn't i wouldn't keep mckenzie i would i would probably ditch supernatural and try and go with a new voice though for batman hmm. i don't know who that is though perfect Me. world it would have been conroy oh but, okay yeah. um i definitely and then, think Hop, they, and then you i think i definitely think they could do this they can make it standalone they can make it cool and creepy um there's enough in here there's enough in Lean the design into the r rating of it enough into the story that you could like this is not going to be a phantasm rehash i think they could absolutely do this as its own standalone movie maybe you want to scrap the year two stuff just call it fear the reaper uh i don't know if title wise you could do that because they're i'm not even gonna hum the song but there's a (laughs) song with cowbells uh name the same thing but which i love it's my favorite classic rock song but I, mean, I think that I don't. I, so I just feel cheap, right. I, I hopefully, um, then at least, um, but no, I think they totally could do this, and I think that, and it would could they could flesh out seventy five minutes, eighty minutes. Rachel could get some story that she needs, uh, yeah. and you can flesh some stuff out, and you can really like some bangers of uh, scenes with with the reaper and stuff. I think this could be a freaking, this could be a home run. They could take the source material, which like I said, I think is good, not great. And they could really flesh it out to make it great in animated form as a movie, not one 20 minute episode. No, I think they could do a movie. And that's, you know what? And that's my, that's the bottom line. Cause stone cold sets off, you know, what? <laughs> That's all I got. All right, final. How does how does this fit into the pantheon of the Batman years for you? Like as a kid, having grown up with like year three, kind of came out around the time of eighty nine. So like year one, year two, year three were very cohesive. I expected back then for there to be a year four, which never materialized. Where does year two fall? For you, I'd have the three of these. I'd have to, like, in ranking, yeah, the three. Oh, year one, year three, year two. So at the bottom, then. Yeah, I thought you meant like as far as like a timeline. I'd have to reread, but I think, uh, Long Halloween complicates the story's placement in the timeline. Yeah, um, that became more so canon, and then pray. You got to fit pray in there, which I think can could be a better direct follow-up to your one, which you and I talked about. I think that mm-hmm. was, was that your first time on the show? No, that was like my a second. Third, 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 okay. Um, so yeah, with that timeline. Um, but I mean, it's, it's good. I think it's, I think it's a fun story. Uh, it feels. I, 
this is more if you're just looking for more entertainment and not like heavy i think this is one that you could grab and just kind of be a little bit more like oh cool look at that oh wow 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 as opposed to some stuff that's like deeper flat out like maybe stronger batman stories perhaps better batman mm-hmm. stories but it's almost like oh this is more serious i really want to take my time with this whereas year two you can just kind of grab and the breeze of a read yeah and be enter- and be entertained by it it's very it feels like such a quick read like it felt like it took no time at all to to reread this um and maybe that might just be my familiarity with the story but yeah like if you've got the time it, it doesn't take very long and it's it's a really sad for me it was a really satisfying story i don't know where i would put it though cuz i do your have favorite. a soft spot for you already it. said it's your favorite batman story of all yeah. time <laughs> But I really love year three and I, I appreciate how each year is done in a, it's not like die hard and die hard Two, where it's like, how can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Like each year story is completely different from the one before in terms of focus mm-hmm. and how the narrative is structured. And, and I appreciate that about it. Like they are very unique storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Ways of doing it. I think that's a good point. Um, three years, three totally different years. Yeah, <laughs> three very different. Uh, well, thanks for coming back on. As always, thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, why don't you go ahead and plug away anything and everything? Oh, got all the things, man. I got all the things. You got all the all words. The things. I got the jamesbonddossier.com. I need oh, to write my review for the new 007 comic, which is written by Garth Ennis which obviously that's something weird that wasn't on my bingo card um uh, i've got my flash youtube channel up to speed with wally west still working on on doing the summary for that first annual it's a doozy and uh there's spider-man stuff i'm you know a contributor sometimes on the spidey dude experience where we uh interviewed greg wiseman um who you may know from doing the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon and Young Justice. He's got a new Spider-Men comic coming out in March. So we got to interview him and he's a, an awesome guy. And of course, BatmanOnFilm.com where I'm reviewing Catwoman, Batman the Brave and the Bold, the mediocre Batman and Robin, sorry Peter, Batman the Gargoyle of Gotham, which is exceptional. And uh, I got a YouTube video that i'm working on unboxing the hot toys batman the batman figure finally came two years after the fact from the movie and then of course you can always find me on the comic binge um just randomly guest starring and then chris clow and i on that youtube channel have a series within a series nights never die where we are going through grant morrison's batman run um so you got some things. Very lots, lots of things going on. Lots of uh things. Head there. Um specifically the Batman dog. Because it's Batman. Um, as for the Batman Book Club, follow on Twitter slash X and Instagram at the Batman BC for latest episode drops, upcoming episodes, and sometimes even some giveaways. Exciting episodes are coming as well. Uh make sure to subscribe to Batman Book Club's YouTube channel. 
And if you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do that. Like I said at the top of the show, patreon.com slash thebatmanbc, tpublic.com, type in tbbc for the Batman Book Club. But if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all, it's 100% A-OK. Easiest, quickest, most impactful thing you can do is rate and review the show. So whichever podcast source you listen to, Apple, Amazon, Google Play, iHeartRadio, uh, just go to the rate and review page and rate and review the show. Because the more reviews the show gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So I'm going to cut that out. Um, So for (laughs) Javi Trujillo, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, we might have a conversation.